God will bless the reading of his words. So together, let's all turn to the book of Daniel, chapter 5, and I'll be reading verses 1 through 9. Daniel chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in the presence of the thousand. While he tasted the wine, Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father, Nebuchadnezzar, had taken from the temple, which had been in Jerusalem, that the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought the gold vessels which had been taken from the temple of the house of God, which had been in Jerusalem, and the kings and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. In the same hour, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and wrote opposite the lampstand on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote, and the king's countenance changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his hips were loosened and his knees knocked against each other. The king cried aloud, cried aloud to bring uh, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. The king spoke, saying to the wise men of Babylon, Whoever reads this writing and tells me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now all the king's wise men came, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king its interpretation. The king, Belshazzar, was greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed, and his lords were astonished. It's great to see you this morning. I know we've got a number of visitors with us, and we're especially glad that you've come to worship with us this morning. Thank you so much for joining us, and let us have an opportunity to get to know you. On that note, don't forget, we have a program that we've begun for the rest of this year entitled Take Five. The idea is that every one of us has been challenged to take five minutes out of your Sunday, five minutes out of your Wednesday night, to introduce yourself or to get to know somebody a little bit better that maybe you don't know quite as well. You have two mandates, okay? Two things that you're authorized to do. And we've all kind of agreed that this is okay with us. You can sit in a different place. If you choose to sit in a different part of the auditorium for the purpose of getting to know somebody better, that's a wonderful thing to do. Because you know as well as I do, when you always sit in the same seat, you come in the same door, you go out the same door, and you generally see just the same faces. And so sitting in a different place can greatly aid in seeing and introducing ourselves to people that we may not know as well. And secondly, you are authorized to ask anybody, anybody their name. Remember, you can say, listen, would you share your name with me? And we're not going to get offended. Nobody's going to be upset because we've been asked our name. 
And don't say, well, I've been worshiping here for 10 years or I've been worshiping here for 30 years. People ought to know who I am. I'm an elder. I'm a preacher. People ought to know who I am. If somebody asks you your name, it's because they genuinely want to know you better because they love you and because they're concerned about building a relationship with you. And so ask people their names. Names and using names is one of the ways in which we communicate to people that we love them, that we care about them. To know someone's name and to use it is to love that person. And so with 300 plus sitting in an auditorium like this, knowing everyone's name is something that would be a wonderful thing for us to try to get to do. So take five every Sunday, every Wednesday night when we're together, spend some time getting to know people that maybe you don't know as well. I know we have a number watching on live stream. We love you and are concerned about you as well. Please participate in this program with us. Reach out to somebody. If you're live streaming and you're concerned about, uh, you know, the virus and things like that, if you're watching, reach out to somebody this week through a text message, through an email, through a phone call. Visit with somebody that maybe you haven't talked to in quite a while or somebody new, somebody that you've seen, their name come up, they were just baptized or they've just placed membership. Reach out to them and introduce yourself, even if it's just electronically. That would be a wonderful thing, a wonderful opportunity for for all of us to participate in. All right, thank you so much for participating in that. And I know it's kind of hard on the attendance takers because people have already started sitting in different places and how do I know who's here and who's not? That's just a happy problem that we're willing to put up with. All right, open your Bibles if you haven't already done so to Daniel chapter five. Daniel chapter five. I'm not gonna ask for a show of hands, but I suspect if I did, every one of us would say, I watch or I pay attention to at least some news on almost a daily basis. I, I've heard people say, you know, I don't listen to the news. I don't, I don't watch the news anymore, but you probably go to your favorite website or worse yet, you probably let social media tell you what's happening in the world and how you ought to feel about what's happening in the world. All of us are tuned in to what's happening in the world around us. And whatever media source you use, no media is really telling you the whole truth until, until they say this, the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. No media source, no news report, no, no written uh, report or article is really telling you the whole truth about history and about what's going on around us until they say the most high God rules in the kingdoms of men. That is the theme of the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel was written at a time when the Israelites, the people of God in the Old Testament, were suffering. And they were suffering under rulers who were not righteous, who were not interested in godly things. And all through the book of Daniel, you see this principle. Turn in your Bibles just briefly. I know you, I said Daniel 5. Turn to Daniel 2 and look at verse 21. Daniel 2, verse 21. In the middle of Daniel's prayer, one of the things he mentions in Daniel 2.21 is that God raises up kings and God removes kings. The God who knows secrets, the God who knows what's happening, he's the God who's responsible for raising up and establishing kings. He's the God who's responsible for removing kings. And see, Daniel is trying to communicate to his countrymen. It's an inspired book. It's from God. 
Don't get so wrapped up in what earthly rulers are doing that you forget the principle that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. Turn over to Daniel 4 and look at verse 17. Daniel chapter 4, verse 17. This is exactly the principle that God forced Nebuchadnezzar to acknowledge. In Daniel 4, verse 17, this mighty king, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the ruler of the, of the superpower of the day, Babylon. That was the name of the country that Nebuchadnezzar ruled over. And God humbled him until he might know, Daniel 4, 17, that again, the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. That's the principle, that's the foundation, that is the emphasis of the book of Daniel. Now turn to Daniel chapter five, one more chapter over. And look at verse 21 of Daniel chapter five. You see this principle repeated throughout the book. It's not repeated just to, just to fill space. Daniel 5, verse 21, King Belshazzar, that we're going to talk about in just a moment, sees the handwriting on the wall. And one of the things that Daniel reminds Belshazzar of is that God had shown and humbled his father Nebuchadnezzar until he might acknowledge, Daniel 5, 21, that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. Brothers and sisters and friends, no matter what happens in the world around us, God is still on his throne. No matter what kings and emperors and presidents and mayors and, and world rulers of various kinds may decide and may do, there is a God who is watching and who is concerned about his people in history. It has always been that way. It is still that way today. People of faith put their hope and their trust in this fact. People of faith put their hope and their trust in the fact that even though wicked people may sometimes rule and may do wicked things, as they did in the book of Daniel, and even though people may suffer who are doing the right thing, as people did in the book of Daniel. This is the book that records Daniel being thrown in the lion's den, remember? This is the book in which Daniel and all of his friends were going to be murdered in Daniel chapter one because they would not eat the food from the king's table. This is the book in which Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were thrown into a furnace that had been heated up seven times hotter than it was in the first place. This is the book where righteous people sometimes suffered and the message of the book is God rules in the kingdoms of men. And Daniel 5 is a message that is a warning to those who would do evil, and that includes you and that includes me. It's also a comfort and an assurance to those who are striving to serve the Lord. It's a warning and a comfort all at the same time. Just to kind of give you the plot of Daniel chapter 5. There is a king named Belshazzar. He is the king of Babylon. He succeeds not just Nebuchadnezzar, but another king named Nabonidus. And Belshazzar is there on the very last night of the Babylonian empire. He's in Babylon and he's throwing a feast. And historically, this actually happens while the enemy armies of Persia are right outside the gates. And I don't know what was going through Belshazzar's mind that he thought it was a good thing to throw a feast. Some people think he was just oblivious. 
The enemy's right outside the gates. Let's have a party. Or some people think he was trying to probably manage expectations. After all, he's mighty King Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians. Who's going to try to keep me from having my party? Everything's fine. Everything's just fine trying to tell his countrymen something like that. Or maybe Belshazzar was trying to appeal to his gods to save him from the enemy army right outside the walls. Whatever the case is, he's having a party. He's having a feast. And he calls for the temple vessels from the house of the Lord to be brought in. And he drinks wine from them. And he he eats upon them. And the Bible says a hand appears. And it starts writing on the wall. And the Bible says that Belshazzar cannot understand what the words mean. Neither can his wise men, neither can his astrologers, neither can the Chaldeans, the people who had been trained in mystical arts. Nobody can understand until Daniel is brought in. And when Daniel is brought in, he preaches a sermon to Belshazzar that not only did Belshazzar need to hear, but every ruler needs to hear. If the news was really telling you the whole truth, the news would say such and such country did this today, such and such world ruler did that today, but the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. If the news were really telling us the full truth, they'd say something like that. What I'd like for us to do with our study this morning is just this. I'd like for us to acknowledge some things about God based on Daniel chapter five, because that's really what the chapter's all about. It's about God and about how he rules in the kingdoms of men. Even though wicked people do wicked things and even though righteous people, good people suffer because of what wicked people do, God still rules. Let's notice four principles, four truths about God from this chapter. Number one, as you look at this chapter in Daniel five about the handwriting on the wall, notice Certain matters are especially sacred to God. Certain matters are especially sacred to God. Notice, if you would, in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 2. The scripture says in Daniel 5 verse 2, while Belshazzar was having this feast, this, this party, he gave the command, Daniel 5, 2, to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem 70 years before this event in Daniel 5. The Babylonian army had gone to Jerusalem and they had ransacked the temple of Solomon. You remember that temple that Solomon built, how beautiful and ornate, full of gold and silver. The Bible says the queen of Sheba came and saw all that Solomon had done and her breath was taken away. It was a beautiful building. Well, the Babylonian army had taken all of that valuable stuff and they had put it in storage in Babylon. And kind of in their minds, this was showing our gods are better than your God, Israelites. And now Belshazzar brings those vessels out and he's going to use them. Notice in this same verse, in this same chapter, in verse 23, Daniel chapter 5, verse 23, when Daniel is condemning Belshazzar, the Bible says, you have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house before you. You and your lords and wives and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, bronze and iron, wood and stone, which do not see or hear or know. 
and the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. Belshazzar, by taking these vessels and using them for common purposes in this feast that he's celebrating, he is offending the God of heaven. Those temple vessels, by the way, have been lost to history. God and his providence saw that 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 was the case. Nobody knows where the real Ark of the Covenant ever went and what happened to it. Nobody knows where the temple vessels ended up and what happened to them. They have been lost to history, but there are still certain matters that are especially sacred to God. Listen to what I'm about to say. There are things that we play around with sometimes that we have no right to play around with. There are things that are very, very sacred before our God. I read a news report recently of a worker in Tampa, Florida, who was doing some cleanup work after a a violent storm. And he walked into a certain place and he saw a wire on the ground. He thought it was just fine. He touched the wire and it electrocuted him. He lost his life. The wire looked benign. It looked normal. It looked ordinary. But when he touched that wire, he discovered it was infused with electricity. There are certain things that are especially sacred to God that God says, that belongs to me. Don't take this lightly. Here are some things that belong to God that are sacred to him. His name. Exodus 20 verse 7, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. I hear God's name taken in vain on a daily basis. It's it's normal, it's commonplace. God says, my name is sacred, it's holy. Jesus told us when we pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, Matthew 6 verse 9. Take God's name seriously because it's serious to him. What does God say is sacred? His people, be very careful what you say about the church. Be careful how you treat the church. Be careful about bad-mouthing and about persecuting and about causing trouble for the church. In 2 Thessalonians 1 verse 6, God says it is a righteous thing to avenge those who persecute his people. God looks at the church, he looks at his people and he says, they are precious to me. They're sacred to me. What is sacred to God? Worship. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty nine. Someone who takes the Lord's Supper and does not discern the Lord's body is eating and drinking judgment to himself. Those are sobering words. God's saying, I'm watching. I'm watching how you're observing the Lord's Supper. I'm watching the way you sing. I'm listening to your heart. And I'm listening to your voice as you offer this praise before me. I'm listening to your prayers. I take those things seriously, God says. Some things are especially sacred. What else is sacred? How about God's design for human relationships? Hebrews 13, 4. Marriage is to be held in honor among all that bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. What God has joined together, let not man separate, Matthew 19, 6. These things are sacred to him. They are special to him. And God says we are tampering with these things and we are treating these things lightly and flippantly at our great peril. How about God's dwelling place? 
in talking about sexual immorality, the argument is made in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, your body, Christian, is a temple, is a dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. You are not your own, you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. There are certain things that God says, those are, those are sacred things, those, those are holy to me. These temple vessels Belshazzar is about to learn, they're holy to God. And God takes great offense when the king of Babylon brings those temple vessels out and begins to feast. There are some things in our lives that God takes great offense about as well when we treat them lightly. Second, this morning, as you look at Daniel 5 and you think about some lessons, certain matters are especially sacred to God, yes, but certain questions then can only be answered by God. Certain questions. The question of the hour for Belshazzar is, what is the writing on the wall? What does that mean? This, this mysterious hand just appears and begins to write words on the wall. And Belshazzar, the Bible says in verse six, is terrified so much so that his knees are knocking together, so much so that it, it seems like he's not able to stand up. He is, he is afraid and afraid is an understatement. And so Belshazzar does what any good king of Babylon would do. He starts calling for the wise men and he offers rewards Whichever wise man is able to tell me what this means, you'll be clothed in purple, you'll receive a gold chain around your neck, and you'll have third place in the kingdom. You're going to be somebody if you could just tell me what this means. And the Bible says that none of the king's men could make known to him the interpretation, Daniel 5 verse 8. Then the queen comes in. It says in verse 10, the queen, this may be the queen mother, it may be Belshazzar's mother. And the queen has some interesting things to say. Listen to verse 10, Daniel 5. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came to the banquet hall and she said, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts trouble you or your countenance change. There is a man, Daniel 5:11, in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy God. And in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. And then she starts talking about who this man is. Look at verses 12 and 13. Inasmuch as an excellent spirit, knowledge, understanding, interpreting dreams, solving riddles, and explaining enigmas were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar... Now let Daniel be called and he will give the interpretation. She remembers. Nobody's quite sure where Daniel went. There are probably 40 or 50 years in between Daniel chapter 4 and Daniel chapter 5. In Daniel chapter 3 and 4, you know, Daniel's kind of front and center in uh, 2, 3, and 4. He's, he's there. He's, he's talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. But now we've passed about four or five decades and Daniel has passed into obscurity. Nobody remembers Daniel except for the queen mother. The question, who's able to give the interpretation? What we're reading in Daniel 5 is what's called historical narrative. That's the kind of account we're reading here, historical narrative. And one of the things that people do when they're writing inspired words like these is the way the story is told, the, the details that are emphasized and repeated, those are very important. 
And as you look at verse 7 and verse 12 and verse 15, the idea of giving the interpretation and making known what the writing means, this is the, the emphasis of the story. There's a huge question here. Who can tell me what this writing means? The king's finally paying attention to something other than himself. He's finally paying attention to something that God has revealed, and yet he's not sure what it means. Who can tell me what this means? Who can show me? It reminds me a little bit of the Ethiopian nobleman when Philip came up to him in Acts chapter 8 and said, do you understand what you're reading? How can I unless someone guides me? The nobleman responded. The king is looking for someone who can tell the meaning of these words. And the queen mother, I want you to notice, just look at your Bible there. In verses 12 and verse 13, the name Daniel is recorded five times. Now, my kids are both taking English classes and sometimes I'll proofread their papers. And if in a couple of sentences, they use the same proper name five times, I'm gonna say, that's probably excessive. You probably don't need to use this fellow's name five times in a couple of sentences, but the Bible does. And what the Bible's doing is it's like a giant flashing sign pointing you, the reader, to the fact that there's only one person in the entire kingdom who can give the interpretation. It is Daniel. And what's unusual about Daniel is he is a servant of the very same God, Belshazzar, that you are offending. He is a servant of the most high God, the one who rules in the kingdoms of men. He's the only one who's gonna be able to tell you what these words mean. Five times his name is mentioned, that's important. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had used Daniel. Daniel had come to Nebuchadnezzar and had, had interpreted dreams for him, that's what Daniel 2 is. But here in Daniel 5, you've got Daniel in obscurity and now he has to call for him. Come and tell me what this writing on the wall means. Some questions, brothers and sisters and friends, can only be answered by God. Belshazzar, if he wanted to know the answer, what does this writing mean? He had to call for God's servant, Daniel, and he had to listen to what he had to say. Had to happen. There was only one place he could go for reliable information. You and I don't have access to Daniel. Daniel died and was buried centuries ago. But we also need to go to God's word for answers. We go to God's word, the Bible. When we open this book and when we read from its pages, what we are reading is the voice of God himself. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, Matthew 4, 4. If you want help understanding some of the things that are happening around you in the world, this is the place to go for answers. This is the place to seek wisdom. This is the place to seek comfort and counsel and guidance and to listen to warnings. This is where we find the word of his grace, which is able to build us up, Acts 20, verse 32. This book gives us answers concerning the most profound questions that the world is still asking even after 2,500 years. That's how long ago Belshazzar was asking the same questions. The Bible gives accurate information concerning where we come from. We are created. We are created in the very image of God, Genesis 1, verses 26 through 28. The Bible gives accurate information concerning why we are here. What is the purpose of your existence 
We are created by God for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31. The Bible gives accurate information about what's really wrong with the world. Listen to what people are saying around you that is wrong with the world. Only the Bible has it right. Only the Bible gives us a true and proper assessment of the human condition and what is wrong with the world around us. Only the Bible can do that because God is the author of the Bible. And God is looking at his creation. He's looking at us and he's saying, I'll tell you what's really wrong with the world. It is the fact that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23, that none are righteous, no, not one, Romans 3 verse 10. And what people need more than anything else is forgiveness and reconciliation. Those are the things that are really important in life. What's truly wrong with the world? Only God's word, the Bible, reveals to us where we're going. What happens when we leave this world? What happens when this world is finally over? What's going to take place? The Lord will return. And the Bible says those who are dead will rise up and those who are alive will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall ever be with the Lord. The Bible tells us where we come from, why we're here, what's wrong. And the Bible tells us where we're going. We're like Belshazzar in a lot of ways if we'd really stop and admit it. Where can I find answers to those questions? Where can I find solutions to those problems? What should I do with my life and how should I invest my life? Those kinds of questions are foundational to our existence. The Bible has those answers. Wise indeed are those who would listen to what God says. Some questions can only be answered by him. Third, as you look at Daniel chapter five and you think about the handwriting on the wall, certain facts make us accountable to God. A lot of people would like to just live in ignorance and think, you know, I'm gonna live my life and I'm gonna do my best and whatever God wants to do with me at the end, fine, that's, that's up to him. But there are facts, there are realities that make you and make me accountable to him. I want you to look at what happens to Belshazzar, the king. He finds Daniel. He brings Daniel before him. He promises Daniel, Daniel, if you can tell me the interpretation of the writing on the wall, if you can just tell me what this is, I'll give you what I promised my astrologers and magicians. I'll give you a purple robe and I'll give you a gold chain and I'll make you a high ruler in my kingdom, which by the way, in just a matter of hours was going to be over with. Daniel says, Belshazzar, I'm not really interested in any of those things. Daniel, by the way, is an elderly man at this point. Been many decades since we've last seen him. But Daniel says, I will tell you some things. And the first thing Daniel does, I mean, think about the situation. Handwriting on the wall, it's still there. I guess it was glowing, I don't know. I'm just just speculating there. I don't know what the handwriting looked like, but the hand was there and you know, that's, that's what everybody wants to know. Let's just get right to the point. Daniel doesn't do that. What Daniel does is he takes this opportunity first to preach a sermon to Belshazzar about accountability, about what he should have known. And he uses as his illustration, Nebuchadnezzar, the king that we just got through reading about as readers of Daniel in chapters two and three and four as well. In verse 18 of Daniel chapter five, O king, the most high God gave, you see, 
the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. He gave Nebuchadnezzar the king a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And because of the majesty that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whomever he wished, he executed. Whomever he wished, he kept alive. Whomever he wished, he set up. And whomever he wished, he put down. But, verse 20, when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. Listen to me. God is watching what rulers do. He's watching what you do. He's watching what I do. But God is watching and he's watching the motivations and he's watching the spirit and he's watching the character. He sees all those things. That's what Daniel 5.20 is telling us. He sees and he knows those things. So why do you and I spend all of our time getting so worked up about this and that if our God knows and if our God sees? Can we not just take for granted that God is going to deal with people in his way? God knows. Look at verse 21. He was driven from the sons of men. His heart was made like beasts, his dwelling with the wild donkeys. They fed him with grass like oxen. His body was set with, wet with the dew of heaven till he knew that the most high God rules in the kingdoms of men and appoints over it whomever he chooses. Nebuchadnezzar was humbled. That's the illustration. Then secondly, there is a condemnation. Look at verse 22 and 23. Daniel looks at the king and without fear, without favor, without prejudice, Daniel says this, but you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. You have lifted yourself up against the Lord of heaven. They have brought the vessels of his house and so on and so forth. You've done all this. You've prayed to your false gods that cannot see and cannot hear. And the God who holds your breath in his hand and owns all your ways, you have not glorified. God sees and knows what's happening in our lives. Belshazzar knew all this and did not respond to the God of heaven. And then Daniel gives the interpretation, the writing on the wall. There are three words here. Mene, verse 26, God has numbered the days of your kingdom. Tekel, verse 27, you have been weighed and found wanting. Perez, verse 28, your kingdom is divided and given to others. It's interesting to me how widespread at least some basic knowledge of this particular Bible account is. I was watching college football yesterday. There's a certain coach over in Louisiana, I'm not gonna name his name, but people are speculating that he's going to be fired at some point. And one of the announcers on the college football program said this. He said, I don't know what's gonna happen, but it certainly seems like the handwriting is on the wall. And I thought to myself, I'm preaching about that tomorrow the handwriting on the wall. <laughs> this college football announcer, he just, we, we have those expressions. You've been weighed and found wanting. We say those kinds of things, don't we? Your days are numbered. We say those kinds of things. Those expressions come from God's word. And those expressions are true. God's watching and he knows. And they're fearful words. There are things that Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar needed to acknowledge and they needed to humble themselves. And every single one of us is in the same boat. There are facts that we're going to be judged by. Jesus said in John chapter 12, verse 48, the word that I have spoken will judge you at the last day. And that goes for all who live under the gospel dispensation. Number four this morning, God's judgment is certain. As you conclude with this particular account, the Bible says 
Belshazzar gave a command and Daniel was clothed with, with uh, the purple and, and so on and so forth. And then the Bible says in verse 30, that very night, that very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans was slain and Darius the Mede received the kingdom being about 62 years old. One empire falls, collapses completely and a new one rises. God rules in the kingdoms of men and it can happen in the blink of an eye. In 1 Samuel 28, verses 17 through 19, Saul was told this very night, you and your sons will lose your lives, will be with me by this time tomorrow. Luke chapter 12, verse 20, the rich man who was concerned about his bigger barns was told this very night, your soul will be required of you. They are fearful words. They are words of warning. They are words of judgment this very night. Upon whom does God pronounce judgment? Evildoers. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, Romans 12, verse 19. God's people need to trust and believe that that's true. Nations, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people, Proverbs 14, verse 34. God judges nations even today according to his righteous standards. We don't know the time, we don't know the manner, but we do know that God rules in the kingdoms of men. Both the great and the small will be judged, whether we are an emperor or whether we are a ditch digger. God watches our lives and we will give an account. Revelation 20 verse 12 talks about the judgment before God's throne and it says in that passage that both the great and the small will be present when that event takes place. And his judgment, brothers and sisters, will be infinitely righteous. He will make no mistakes. He will miss no details. He will ignore no relevant evidence. He will judge the world and his judgment will be completely righteous and true and fair. Acts 17 verse 31. As you think about Daniel chapter 5 and the idea that the most high rules in the kingdoms of men, here's the takeaway. You and I, as servants of God in Katy, Texas in 2021, you and I ought to concentrate more on Jesus Christ and his gospel than we do anything else. We ought to spend more time emphasizing Christ and his gospel and relationships in Christ and bringing more people to Christ. We ought to emphasize those things to spend our time and investment in those things more than anything else because... As concerned as we might be about the nations and the, and the states and the, and the counties in which we live, as concerned as we might be about a number of issues and matters, nothing, nothing is more important than the gospel of Jesus Christ. And more than that, God's going to take care of those who are in power. God is going to deal righteously with them in his way and in his time. Let's pray to that end. And let's allow ourselves as the people of God to focus on the mission that Jesus gave us because his judgment is certain and he's going to judge us as well. If you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can do that right now. If you know that Jesus is the son of God, that you, you believe that he, he died for you and that he's the only way that you could ever be right with God, you're ready to confess his name and to repent of your sin and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If those things are true of you, there's no better time and no better place than right now and right here to become a Christian. 
Perhaps you need prayer. Perhaps you're struggling. Perhaps you have sin in your life that you need to ask forgiveness. Whatever your need is, this is the time. Won't you come while together we stand and while we sing?